If someone is first diagnosed with COPD and does not require oxygen, if they quit smoking, if they take away the causative agent, it should not get any worse and it should not progress. COPD, or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, is a lifelong condition. And for decades, it was also considered an inherently progressive one, meaning it would always get worse, no matter what. But now we know more. If caught early enough and treated, and if smokers stop smoking right away, COPD can be kept at a steady, manageable state. We patients need to have good adherence to our medication. We need to stay active. We're equal partners in care with our physicians. So if you've recently been diagnosed with COPD or know someone who has and are wondering, what now? Welcome to episode two of the COPD podcast with me, Michaela Arneson. If you've jumped straight to this episode, we recommend you go back to the beginning and listen to them in order. In this episode, we'll learn how people with COPD can prevent their condition from getting worse and what first-line treatments, medications, therapy, and other interventions are often prescribed after diagnosis. We just have to find interventions that are helpful for each individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Also, stay with us to the end, and we'll share a list of resources where you can learn more. A quick note before we get started. This series is not a substitute for formal medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And if you have questions, talk to your qualified healthcare provider. Also, don't delay treatment or ignore medical advice because of anything you hear on any podcast. The COPD podcast is intended to tell the stories of COPD because knowledge is power. Most cases of COPD in the United States and other developed countries have a common cause. Smoking, tobacco smoking specifically. That's Mike Hess, a respiratory therapist. If you smoke and have COPD, you've definitely heard providers like him give this advice. The first thing that we would tell somebody is, of course, to quit. Quit smoking. Quit smoking? Quitting smoking is the first and best thing that someone with COPD can do to stop their disease from progressing. But this is obviously much easier said than done. Nicotine is thought to be as addictive as heroin or cocaine. It reaches the brain in just a few seconds, but its effects were often minutes leaving a person wanting more, and quickly. It takes a lot of effort to stop. The research indicates most people have to try to quit smoking about seven times before they're successful. Stephanie Williams, another respiratory therapist, has worked with a lot of people who've tried to quit smoking. And in fact, that estimate of seven times may be on the low side. A 2016 study actually puts the average at 30 or more attempts. So if you have tried to quit smoking and you went back to it for one reason or another, then congratulations, you are one step closer to that average. You are not a failure. Jan Cotton, who was diagnosed with COPD in 2000, didn't completely stop smoking for another seven years. On my son's birthday, January 30th of 2007, I smoked my last cigarette. I planned the date and I have not had a cigarette since. I didn't want to fall out somewhere, have to be intubated, and wake up days later and say, what happened? I wanted to do it on my terms. When Jan quit, she really quit. But going cold turkey doesn't work for everyone because nicotine also has a relaxing effect. So for people like Jean Ramos, smoking becomes a familiar, comforting ritual. I had played around with the whole quitting thing for a while, but I always knew in the back of my mind I wasn't going to quit, that I really like smoking. (laughs) I really like smoking. 
liked all of it. But then I realized that I absolutely had to quit. And it wasn't like I quit cold turkey. I used some aids and did some other kinds of things. But a lot of it was just plain stubborn. I'm going to do this by God, and I did it. If you're like Jan or Jean and are trying to quit smoking, whether or not you have COPD, there are a lot of resources to help. Here's my guess again. There are a lot of programs out there. Some people do really well with nicotine replacement products like patches or gums or lozenges. Some people really need a lot of supportive counseling, what we call behavioral health counseling, motivational interviewing. Some people do require some prescription medications, and most people require some combination. The biggest thing is to not give up because everybody is a little bit different and everybody needs a little bit different set of tools in order to get them over the finish line. We just have to find interventions that are helpful for each individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all answer. And if your loved one smokes, you probably know all too well that the decision to stop has to be theirs. But you can still help. You can have conversations to help the person recognize maybe why they haven't been ready to quit, what might make them ready to quit, and what it would look like for them to quit. That is generally more helpful than trying to convince somebody one way or the other. So yeah, if you're a smoker with COPD, you're going to want to find a way to stop. But beyond smoking cessation, people with COPD can be prescribed medication to make their breathing easier and reduce the severity of their symptoms. The first thing that you're probably going to try once you're diagnosed with COPD is some kind of inhaled medication. Inhaled medication can be delivered in the form of an inhaler or a nebulizer, which sprays liquid medicine in a fine mist that you breathe in. One type of inhaled medication is called a bronchodilator. All of your airways in your lungs have small muscles around them, and a bronchodilator helps those muscles relax a little bit better so that you can get better air movement in and out. There are different kinds of bronchodilators that work differently to ease breathing. We have longer-acting medications that we sometimes call controllers or maintenance meds. These are things you take every day, no matter how you feel. Of course, sometimes you need those shorter-acting relievers. Sometimes they're even called rescue medications. Symptoms can suddenly become worse in what's known as an exacerbation or a flare-up, often due to external factors, such as a cold, bacterial infection, pollen, or air pollution. And that's where a short-acting or rescue inhaler will be used. They last between four and six hours, whereas long-acting inhalers are good for between 12 and 24 hours. The reliever you should have with you all the time because you can't always predict what your trigger is going to be and you can't always predict where you're going to run into it. But bronchodilators aren't the only kind of inhaled medication that can improve symptoms of COPD. If that's not enough, we sometimes need to add additional inhalers that have inhaled steroids. Meet Dr. Mina Perzida. I am an assistant professor in pulmonary and critical care medicine at the University of Michigan Medical School, and I practice here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now, the inhaled steroids are just going and staying inside the lung. That, again, reduces inflammation. It allows the airways to be more open and hopefully allow the patient to breathe easier. Like smoking cessation, there is no one-size-fits-all answer when it comes to treatment. What works for one person might not work for another. Deciding which inhaler to use really depends on the severity of the patient's symptoms, not only shortness of breath, but also cough and phlegm production, sleep quality, exercise limitation, and energy levels. And many people with COPD will be prescribed more than one medication. We usually use a combination strategy of these inhaled medications. I manage with 
all of the prescribed medications by my pulmonologist, a long-acting bronchodilator, rescue inhaler, nebulizer. The nebulizer for me, I use every six hours. It looks like a pipe and it keeps me opened up. Once I use that, I can breathe more easy and it works with the medications that I take. The only thing about it is uh, after a while, you kind of sort of lose your voice. You may hear a little hoarseness now, and that's why, because it makes your mouth so dry. But what if someone is still experiencing flare-ups, at least two per year? Dr. Prozida says there are additional options. So there are two medications that we generally use to reduce the number of flare-ups. One of them is meant for patients who make sputum and phlegm every day. They take an oral pill every day. The other medication is actually an antibiotic, but we use it for its anti-inflammatory effects. And that's generally taken as a pill three times a week. We'll get more into flare-ups in a later episode. But for now, here's one last piece of advice from Mike about using whatever medicine you're prescribed. Technique is incredibly important with these devices. If you take too little of your medication, you aren't going to get your best effect. And there are some relievers out there that work very similar to adrenaline. So if you take too much of it, you might get kind of jumpy, jittery. Another important aspect of COPD management and treatment is something called pulmonary rehabilitation. Pulmonary rehabilitation is a structured, monitored exercise program. You meet a respiratory therapist, sometimes a registered nurse, several times a week who guides you through exercises, keeping an eye on your oxygen level, heart rate, respiratory rate, so that you are safe and you're taught how to exercise appropriately for your level of breathlessness and other symptoms. Pulmonary rehab programs also teach people about better nutrition. And importantly, they give them a social support network. I was afraid, but then I got there and found other people that were in the same condition as me. We became friends. It made you want to keep coming back. Not only that, it made you feel better mentally, physically, the whole nine yards. It made you say, I can really do this. You start slow, easy, and you gravitate up until you get where you want to be. Another important aspect of a pulmonary rehab program is learning breathing techniques, which are important because people with COPD can easily become winded, even when doing small things. One such technique is called pursed lip breathing. You take a breath in through your nose, you put your lips together like you're about to whistle, and then you blow out through them. That does a couple of things. First of all, it keeps your airways open longer to help flush out some of the stale air. It also gives you a chance to kind of recenter yourself mentally and come back down off some of that anxiety that is always a piece of being short of breath. The formula is you want to breathe in for two seconds and out for four. Purse-lip breathing isn't something that comes naturally to people. Practice purse-lip breathing when you don't need it, and then it becomes like second nature. When you do need it, it's there for you. Stephanie also teaches diaphragmatic breathing, which trains people to breathe with their diaphragm, that little muscle underneath your ribs, rather than with the muscles in their chest. It really is difficult for everyone. I mean, really, the only people in this world who breathe like they should are newborn babies, and opera singers. <laughs> when people are living with COPD, their diaphragm becomes flattened and it isn't able to expand and contract like it should. So that's where we ask people to relax, lean back, and put one hand on their chest and one hand just 
at the base of their ribs. That's where your diaphragm is. When they take a breath in, they want to see that hand that's on their diaphragm rise when they take a breath. When they exhale, we want to see that hand fall back down and return to its normal position. We don't want the hand on the chest to move. Give it a try now. Breathing with your diaphragm feels surprisingly unnatural at first. So pulmonary rehab offers a lot of important tools and techniques to help people manage their COPD and lead a healthy life. But pulmonary rehab isn't always covered by insurance, and not everyone lives near a program. Sadly, pulmonary rehabilitation is not that accessible. A recent study of Medicare beneficiaries found that 40% of people live more than 10 miles away from a program, so are therefore less likely to enroll. John Linnell, who was diagnosed with COPD in 2005, has experienced firsthand the differences in access to care across the United States. Being diagnosed in the Phoenix metropolitan area, and then after many, many years moving back to rural Wisconsin, was certainly an eye-opener for me. There's a huge disparity with rural access to health care overall, but specifically for respiratory diseases. We need the same access. So if you're someone who wants to take advantage of pulmonary rehab, but like John, you don't live near a program or you can't afford one, don't worry. Dr. Perzida says there are options for you. If it's a transportation issue with the pandemic, telehealth and telemedicine has really expanded. There are pulmonary rehab programs that actually are video-based visits. But for those patients who can't access it for other reasons, online, there is a wealth of resources on breathing techniques and specific exercises. The COPD Foundation has a list of these techniques on their website, and they run a nationwide program called Harmonicas for Health, which has helped a lot of people with COPD practice their breathing and strengthen their respiratory muscles. The harmonica playing mimics purse-lip breathing. So they're getting the benefits of purse-lip breathing while they're having fun, doing something kind of creative and making music. And honestly, if you can read numbers and arrows up and down, you can play harmonica. And if you want to learn more about exercise, what you're taught in pulmonary rehab isn't actually much different from the basic fitness advice all of us should follow. Part of the focus is on strength training, and then part of it is on aerobic training. So on the aerobic side, it's similar to what people do when they go to exercise at a gym. They're walking or they're biking or doing hand pedaling. And from a strength perspective, a lot of it has to do with upper body strength and using small free weights because the muscles that help you breathe are all in your upper body. Of course, you should always talk to your qualified healthcare provider about exercise like any aspect of your COPD management, to make sure you're being safe and using good techniques. Now let's talk about some other resources you can turn to for more information and help. And as always, visit our website at healthunmuted.com for an updated list of websites, programs, and more. If you're in the United States and you're trying to quit smoking, you can call the National Quit Line at 800-QUIT-NOW or 800-784-8669 to get free access to resources in your area. You can also find tips on how to quit at smokefree.gov and on the CDC's website. If you want more information about medications for COPD, check out the COPD Foundation, WebMD, and Healthline. Also, if you're having trouble accessing the medication you need, consider patient or pharmaceutical assistance programs. I discovered patient assistance programs through pharma companies. 
many pharmaceutical companies offer their medications to qualifying low-income patients at little or no cost. And there are also local programs in many areas that offer similar assistance. Visit our website for tips and links on how to find resources near you. I went directly to their website and I said, here's my situation. I have zero income and I have zero insurance and I need these meds. Well, I qualified. This is the COPD Podcast. This show is part of the Health Unmuted Library by Mission-Based Media and was created in collaboration with the COPD Foundation. To listen and learn more, visit healthunmuted.com and follow the COPD Podcast on your favorite podcast player. The COPD Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by me, Michaela Arneson. Sound design is by Ivan Yurich. And our executive producer is Dan Kendall. Many thanks to Jan Cotton, Jean Ramos, and John Linnell for sharing their personal experiences with COPD, and to our guest experts, Mike Hess, Stephanie Williams, and Dr. Mina Persida for sharing their medical expertise. 